Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to another episode of State of the Nation. We are super excited to talk to you guys a little bit about the Element airdrop. Element, this is a DeFi protocol, default DeFi primitive. We've talked about them before on Bankless, basically fixed interest rates, a new sort of DeFi primitive. Uh, and there's actually a lot to unpack with this Element story. So David, I know you've got three things that you think are super going to be super valuable alpha in this conversation that we're going to cover. Can you talk about those and the guests that we have on today? Yeah, yeah. This is not your typical DAO launch. While that is where the conversation begins, it is certainly not where the conversation ends. Element with the launch of Element DAO is bringing a lot to the table. First, they have a brand new money Lego governance primitive that all DAOs are freely able to use and plug into. Uh, they explained it to me yesterday, and I'm already pretty well convinced that this is going to become the new standard when it comes to DAO governance tokens. Uh, it's called a voting vault, uh, and it allows you, Ryan, to have your cake and eat it too, at least when I it comes cake. to, yeah, cake's great. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna take, we're gonna uh, unpack what a voting vault is and why we think, at least why I've, I've been convinced that basically every single DAO is going to adopt a go voting vault structure. Second, they are also pioneering a DAO governance model, a new governance structure, which they think is faster and more effective and more efficient at governance, which is something that all DAOs need to improve and iterate on. But lastly, Ryan, and most importantly, and most excitedly, they're going to show us how we can get exposure to the merge. Like you said, it's a fixed interest yield. Upside rate. exposure, right? Upside exposure, yeah. Uh, or, or maybe the, the inverse, if you so. I don't want the yeah. inverse. I mean, Why would anyone inverse. do the yeah, inverse? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, okay, as you said, like uh, Element is a fixed yield interest rate protocol. But with that tool, with this money Lego, you can express bullishness as to the APY, the yield rate of Ethereum. And so if you think that yield rate is going to go up, I don't know why someone would, Ryan. Maybe they're expecting the merge to happen. I do think this. Yeah. I do uh, think maybe it's someone who's listened to a few Bankless podcasts might think this. Yeah, so Element as a tool allows you to get exposure to the merge. So that is what we are talking about today. The new governance primitive, uh, the new governance structure, but then also how Element is going to be useful going into the merge. Uh, we are bringing on the CEO and CTO of Element, uh, Will Villanueva and Johnny Ray. Uh, they have been in the Ethereum ecosystem for a long time now. They are both ex-consensus uh, before they uh, went off and built off their own thing with Element. Uh, so they have been around for a long time and they are uh, fantastic community members and now builders building out a DeFi app that is actually a little bit closer to the actual protocol of Ethereum rather than uh, just in the application layer, which is another topic that we will get into. Yeah, that's super cool. And, and by the way, we'll, we'll start this whole conversation talking about the eligibility criteria for the airdrop. And of course, Element, I think, was an airdrop that we uh, had predicted would happen, that yeah. probably would happen when we put out our big beefy airdrop guide, mm -hmm. like all the way back in November of last year. So if you were listening, if you were checking those boxes, you might want to see if you were eligible for this airdrop as well. So we're going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. David, before we do, man, we got an announcement, uh, super important. So it is National Youth HIV AIDS Awareness Day on April 10th. And uh, a new NFT collection has be just been launched. This is powered by Consensus NFT. And I think this is a fantastic opportunity for first-time NFT buyers because it's an opportunity to support a really great cause with the NFT. Could you tell them a bit about this NFT and um, you know how the proceeds from this, where, where the proceeds from this go, David? 
Yeah, this is from MAC Cosmetics. Um, maybe maybe the, the men in the channel don't know what that is, but the, but the women in the channel certainly probably do. Uh, a makeup, makeup uh, company making a bunch of cosmetic products. They are working on an NFT project with consensus where 100% of the revenue of the incoming money is being donated to uh, AIDS Awareness, Youth HIV AIDS Awareness Day, which is on April 10th. There are three tiers of rarity you got red, red tier, blue tier, and yellow tier. Uh, and so if you have never participated in an NFT drop, maybe you just don't know which one is for you. This one might be a nice one to start with. Uh, $25 for the minimum tier for the red tier. Uh, 250 blue tiers for at $150 each. And then only 25 yellow tiers at $1,000 each. And again, 100% of the money goes to youth HIV and AIDS awareness. Yeah, I'm going to be participating definitely because this is a good cause. The art is by Keith Herring, by the way. So to get more details on that, click the link in the show notes. It's bankless.cc slash MAC. David, let me ask you the question before these episodes where I start with. What is the state of the nation today? Ryan, the state of the nation is yielding. We are yielding. Ooh. Our crops are yielding. Uh, <laughs> not only, like I said, Element is bringing to the table some brand new technology for all DAOs to be able to use, regardless of plugging into Element or not. Uh, brand new uh, governance primitive that's going to allow us to have our cake and eat it too. We're going to talk all about that. Uh, some new tooling in the Discord space, allowing Discord users to uh, discreetly and privately claim tokens without doxing themselves. That's also coming. So all these technologies that Element is bringing uh, is being yielded by the rest of the DAO ecosystem because of the nature of open source protocol. When somebody builds something, we all benefit but of course, Ryan, it's also we are yielding from the merge, which Element is also going to help us with. Look, man, uh, three words, cake, uh, <laughs> yield, and merge, all right? And they all go really well together. We'll all unpack all of those things in this episode. Really excited to get to it. Before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Hey, guys, we are back on the podcast with Will Villanueva and Johnny Ray. Super excited. The CEO and CTO of Element, respectively. I think they both did some time. I make it sound like a jail sentence. They both worked at <laughs> Consensus previously. Uh, Will on Ethereum sharding, which is pretty cool. And uh, Johnny on the Ethereum client. So both like protocol layer devs that moved up the stack into DeFi. That's a conversation in and of itself. But Will and Johnny, we are here to talk about Element. How are you guys doing today? Welcome to Bankless and welcome back, Will. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us. Really excited to be here. Really excited to jam out and talk about uh, everything. And uh, yeah, always fun to be here. Well, let's jam yeah. out. Let's yeah, talk about everything, for, guys. Thanks for having let's us. Do it. I'm, I'm yes. hungry with all this talk of cake. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get to the cake, all right? But first, we gotta eat our veggies as we do yeah. on Bankless. And uh, give us the quick speed run, the 101 of Element for people who haven't caught up on uh, what Element actually is. We talked about yield. Uh, we talked about cake, of course, uh, but tell us about yield. What is the 101 on Element? What does uh, the protocol do? Yeah, so Element's pretty simple um, at, at the most like fundamental layer. So what we do is our set of contracts basically allow you to um, put uh, go for any yield position in the market. Currently, we're wrapping the positions on Yearn. And it lets you split that position, that yield position, into two uh, basic components. So there's the principal and there's the interest. So to give you like a really, really simple example, um, if I put down a million dollars on the USDC vault in uh, urine, and let's say it's going for 10% APY, the principal is $1 million. At the end of a year, the interest that I can redeem for is $100,000, that 
And so what we do is we create a market around both, um, both those components, the principal side and the uh, yield side, and it allows for some really interesting things. And particularly the one that's really interesting um, is the, uh, the markets around principal tokens. So uh, we use something called yield space, shout out to Alan over at yield protocol. Um, it's the constant uh, power product uh, invariant. And uh, essentially what we, uh, what we do in this case is it's sort of this concept of, I give you 90 cents for a dollar. So Ryan, I'm gonna give you a dollar. How much is it worth it to you? But you can't use it for a year. Um, so you might say, okay, I'll give you 90 cents for that because I sort of you know, miss out on the opportunity costs of money, right? I, I'm not able to stake it on different, um, different positions in the space. And this is sort of what creates that market, which sort of tracks the uh, going variable yield rates in the space. And so when you make that deal, um, it's, it's safe, it's conservative, you know exactly what you're going to get up front. And it's sort of fueled by people who are going long on variable interests and using our platform to do that and sort of degen a little bit as well. So, and Will, this is this is super yeah. common, right? In the traditional finance world, what is this subset of assets called, and like what happens in traditional finance? Yeah, so uh, there's this there's this pretty like you know basic concept, um, you know, of the opportunity cost of money. If you give someone you know a certain amount of funds and it's locked for a certain period of time, um, that sort of accrues that differential in interest. One way you can see it is the person who's buying these principal tokens or getting that fixed rate, you can almost see it as a really, really high uh, interest rate CD that they're locking in. Um, but those rates are you know, significantly higher than what you see in traditional finance. Um, also, yeah, the splitting of variable interest from, uh, from the principal is also a pretty common thing in that space as well. So this allows somebody who uh, is particularly bullish on an asset to be able that and that asset has a yield associated with it. It allows people to buy that asset at a discount. So like if uh, Ether is like $3,500 and it's got a certain amount of yield, I could buy it for like $3,200 at a discount. But the only thing is I just am locked up for a certain amount of time. But if you're already bullish you're, and you're already going to hold it anyways, you could buy it today at a discount. Uh, and that's like probably like the most basic way to uh, leverage element. But then things can get really uh, a lot more creative. Uh, the splitting of a yield-bearing asset into a principal and its interest into two different tokens, the principal token and the interest token, allows for a lot more of expressivity, a lot more creativity. And that's where we're going to get into the section later on in the show about how one can gain exposure to the merge. Um, Anything to add on that, or should we get into some of the uh, the Dow launch uh, subjects as well? Yeah, let's get into the Dow launch. Okay, cool. Uh, because, of cool. course, like we said, got to eat the veggies before we uh, eat the cake. And so veggies first. Uh, congratulations, guys, on the launch of Element Dow and the, and the Element uh, token airdrop. Uh, let's go a little bit into the details about the, the dynamics behind the, the airdrop and the Dow launch. Um, uh, the snapshot was taken March 1st. So anyone that has interacted with, a, with the Element protocol since then, uh, sorry, you're, you're out of luck. But if you're before then, you probably got some of the airdrop. How did you guys uh, determine how much of the airdrop to give out and who of the uh, Element protocol users actually got the airdrop? Yeah, so I'll, I'll actually let like Johnny, I think Johnny can, you know, describe uh, a lot of this in, in more depth as well. But basically, we sort of broke it out into a few few components. So one, we wanted to reward the users of the protocol. These are people who um, traded principal tokens. Um, these are or locked in a fixed rate. These are people who LP'd in the protocol. We also wanted to reward active community uh, 
so this are, these are people who are active and actually had engaging discussions in our Discord. Um, and then also we were you know pretty passionate about rewarding both ecosystem developers. So these are core Ethereum developers. Um, you know, there's a number of reasons why I think Johnny can articulate that really well. We're both, you know, really passionate about that, but also other sister protocols. So we also rewarded um, people, uh, basically protocols we built on, and then other protocols that we felt were like uh, good for the space, good for the DeFi ecosystem that we that we really appreciated. And the way we did that, right, um, is we actually had scripts that analyzed um, GitHub contributions and based on your GitHub contributions that, you know, allows for your eligibility on, you know, some of those repos, but I'll go ahead and pass like this one off to Johnny. I know he has a lot to say or yeah. Yeah. Johnny, help us uh, just understand this a little bit more. What, what are the unique elements of the element airdrop that is, uh, that isn't really found in other airdrops or other down launches? Yeah. I would say just like high level, like the main takeaways, like, you know, on the user side, like we provide like, uh, you know, like three and a half percent to liquidity providers, you know, three and a half percent to traders and then like half a percent to mentors. And, and, and really what we did is we decided early on to do it in a proportional manner, um, which is like, you know, it's good and bad. Like uh, proportional is nice because it's basically like, um, you know, the amount that an individual has like interacted with the protocol is going to like directly be proportional to like how many votes they're awarded um you know, so resistant, right that was probably the most complicated you know you know part of the of the process but really our goal was to keep it simple um you know like i think when we were looking at the data initially you could see that like there was a lot of people that were like trying to take advantage of like hopefully the fact that we would have some sort of like blanket distribution for anyone you know like Sort of you saw with like the Uniswap, you know, airdrop that they did. Like anyone who'd made a trade gotten a certain amount of UD right away. Well, since then that ship has sailed. People have kind of got savvy to that. And so rather than try to come up with some really complicated logic, we figured, hey, let's just do it proportional. Um, you know, if if people are sprinkling, you know, little like two cent buys or sells here or there, or just LPing a very small amount, well. You know, they'll they'll uh, that's the slice of cake they get, right? Um, and if they did more, well, it essentially takes all of the all of the subjective kind of like decisions like out of our hands. So so that was one thing. Um, it was also interesting, sort of looking at the data and noticing like how many people had figured out some of the interesting art opportunities there are on Element um, with minting and swapping and 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 yield token compounding, which which I think will explain a little bit more. But um, but yeah, that's that's basically the TLDR with the with the distribution and and how it worked um, from the user point of view. And uh, Will brought this up, and I want to dive into it. You guys have also allocated, I believe, one and a quarter percent of tokens to a cohort of people that typically are not included in airdrops, being the ecosystem contributors and uh, and developers. Can you, Johnny? Can you just uh, unpack that decision? And and who are these people that are receiving this uh, share of the tokens? Yeah, yeah. So this was like when when Will and I first started Element. This was like the one thing we couldn't wait, um, you know, to incorporate. We didn't know how we were gonna do it. We didn't know exactly what form or how it would manifest. But it was something that we were really passionate about. It was basically kind of like bridging the gap between you know the, the core protocol layer and the application layer. Um, and so like uh, you know one thing to one thing to mention is that like. The, the people who get this, um, yeah, like like Will mentioned, are people we built on. So that's core protocol devs, even you know even um, 
core like DeFi Legos, like Maker or like Yield Space. Like we love and respect Dan Robinson and Alan and and all the work they did on on Yield Space. Um, you know, we adopted that. Um, so, so people like that all took advantage of it. They all got included in the airdrop. There's going to be people we missed out on. Um, but, but one thing that's kind of interesting about the way it was implemented, um, you know, was this, was this ZK claim, um, uh, you know, airdrop process that, that we kind of like pioneered here. Yeah. yeah. The, the ZK. Oh, sorry. Go for it, Dave. No, no, no. Go, keep going. If you're going to keep on going, that's where I was going to go. Yeah, so the ZK claim process is pretty dope. So um, we, you know, worked with Sam on this, um, and he sort of, you know, worked on on the contracts. We gave a call out in, you know, the write up that we did, the distribution write up. Um, but essentially, what it what it lets people do is, if you're going to reward people by their GitHub ID or by their Discord um, ID, um, you want to do it in a way where they can still keep their privacy, right? You don't want to be able to connect their Ethereum address to uh, to their identity. And so the ZK claim was sort of a cool innovation because it basically enables what we're doing, that you can claim by your GitHub ID and then you don't need to be doxxed. And so this is sort of why we have this one week period. If you go, if you qualified on the Discord side or the GitHub side, you go through this really cool dashboard, you generate a public ID, a key, a public key, a private key, um, you, you know, generate randomness by moving your mouse around. It's a really fun process. Um, and then uh, essentially uh, a week and a half later, um, once everyone's posted their public IDs on the GitHub issue thread or in the Discord um, you know, uh, channel that we have, uh, we use that to be able to build a Merkle tree where then they can claim. And when they claim, you can't, um, you can't track it to, um, to the identity, the GitHub ID um, that's being claimed. So it's, it's sort of a necessary uh, part in doing it this way. And it's, it's pretty cool. I'm like excited to see others sort of follow, uh, follow suite. So I want to just recap and make sure I understand you guys in, in when you guys started element and, and again, you guys came from consensus. Uh, one of you guys worked on sharding. One of you guys worked on an Ethereum client. So uh, app developers that are really close to the Ethereum protocol and also just, you know, open source values and, and something that really a lot of the core people of, around Ethereum really embody. And so you guys came and you guys started Element with the intention of when it came time to have a token or what, however you guys uh, intended on generating liquidity when you first started Element. You're like, okay, we're going to give back. Uh, the protocols that Element is built on top of and the, the, sh uh, the shoulders upon which Element uh, lies on, the shoulders of giants, you guys are going to give a, a, a share of the tokens back towards, you know, uh, the MakerDAO protocol, I think, is one you, one you listed, but also the other um, the people that have contributed uh, provably via Git, uh, GitHub. Um, and so you guys have in the body this ethos of giving back to the platforms that you guys have been building upon, right? Giving back to open source, which is uh, very honorable and very true to the nature of, of Ethereum. The issue with that is that if you want to give away tokens, you would also inherently be doxing the contributors. Uh, and so you guys have made this ZK claim technology that allows the th elements that el the elements of the element is built upon to be able <laughs> to have their share of the tokens, but not also doxing themselves on Ethereum at the same time. Is that, is that the full story here? Yeah. You nailed it. Yeah, hundred percent. And 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 Will mentioned it, but shout out to Sam Ragsdale, who we were just like riffing. Me, Will, and I were just riffing with him um, about it, and he brought up uh, this idea for for a zk claim process. And we were like, dude, I think that would be a sweet way to do 
uh, to do what we're kind of like looking, you know, looking to do for our, our distribution. So, well, I, yeah. I know I just, we just talked about how we can remove the ability to be doxxed with the ZK claim tech, but who is, who is receiving all these tokens? Like how is that part of the distribution been allocated? Is that public knowledge? Yeah. Yeah. We have a, we have a, a gist that basically lists, um, it's a, it's a bunch of, um, Ethereum. Like, so basically like all the client, um, all the client repos. So Geth, you know, Teku, Lighthouse, um, you know, Besu, um, Nethermind, you know, all, all of the, all of the client teams, all of the, you know, even the, even, uh, protocol labs and lib P2P, right. So like, you know, the Ethereum, uh, you know, Ethereum and protocol labs like work together to, to kind of be like the first big protocol to like really integrate like lib P2P into their networking stack. So we included them, um, you know, also like, uh, you know, additionally, like, like we mentioned, like the maker DAOs, uh, you know, the compounds, the Aves, um, we missed a big one, like in Uniswap, like Uniswap, like, I mean, we knew this was going to be a, mis we, like, we knew we would like, kind of like, that would be a, you know, sort of a risk, you know, like trying to remember every single repo or every single thing. And, and honestly, like the, you know, really the takeaway is here is like, we hope people like take our approach, build on it, give us feedback. And then the next, the next team that comes around and does it, maybe they can, they can make improvements on it. Donnie, did you guys give any to that, uh, that Vitalik guy? I've heard he's, uh, he did something. <laughs> with he, he does have a distribution. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> because um, of all, his contributions all... to get, uh, to GitHub. Yeah. Because of his contributions. Yeah, so pretty much yeah. all the core ETH2 researchers have, um, have a, uh, claim amount that they can go for. So, and this wasn't you guys just manually saying like, oh, they deserve this amount or they deserve this amount. This is uh, just an al like an algorithm of sorts programmatically going through the GitHub repos saying, like, oh, these guys contributed, these these people contributed, this system contributed. And so you guys are leaving like it's, a, it's like a retroactive airdrop, but for protocols that came yeah. before your elements time. Uh, and so it's literally like, again, building on the shoulders of giants, but doing a retroactive airdrop to the open source uh, like all the open source contributions that has been contributed to Ethereum at large. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, correct. that's right. And and we tried to keep it simple. It's like we could have again, like we could have gone into like you know judging quality of commits and mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But instead, what we tried to do is like uh, basically said if you have a commit that's merged into main, whether it's a comment or um, or whatever, like everyone gets you know the same amount for that you know, for that, uh, for that particular repo. So, um, just yeah, to so we, any kind of questions there, keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to keep it objective. So we just basically picked a list of the organizations. Um, and then from there, the script looked at all the merged, uh, merged commits. So I love that. That's a really cool precedent to set. I think, um, one, one other thing while we're on the uh, subject of the token, my understanding is the token is non-transferable right now. Is that correct? Yeah, so the current setup, and we can go into this in a bit. Um, so we have the council governance protocol. This is a uh, new governance primitive, new protocol overall. It's not a fork of Governor Bravo, um, but essentially um, it introduces these things called voting vaults. And I think we'll talk about this in a bit as well. Um, and the way that we have it set up is when you claim um, your, your drop, 
you're put into a locking vault. Um, and this is to encourage people, you know, from the start to actually play a part in governance, to delegate in governance. So um, in the current um, in the current setup, uh, the locking vault keeps you keeps you into the governance system. So what um, what are kind of the reasons for for the lockup? Like why why did you guys or the um, non transferability? Why did you guys want to uh, start with that? Yeah, I think it's good to sort of you know bring bring everyone who's contributed to the protocol and who's excited and start everything off uh, with everyone being involved in governance and having a having a say in that. Um, and then from there, right, like the governance system, voting vaults, everything is upgradable by the community. So they can sort of situate uh, changes if they want it to, they want to. But the idea here is we wanted everyone to be like playing a role, being a part in governance from the start. And Wait, will, also... will the community have to vote their uh, vote in transferability into the token or is the token unlocked to be transferable at a certain point in time? Um, so if they wanted to make changes, um, you, you know, you can always upgrade the governance system or upgrade, you know, the set of voting vaults. Um, but uh, that's sort of up to governance. And, you know, I think we're, we're focused on, you know, trying to keep keep people using this to vote and being a part of that dynamic. So I think that's yeah, interesting. Man. I guess like not being distracted by like price and all of that too. I mean, with many airdrops, the minute it starts trading, everyone's like, when moon, you know, what's the price going to yeah. be? And you guys don't have that dynamic here. It's just like, okay, there's an allocation of supply. And now the next step is not uh, go look at it on CoinGecko. The next step is like, go, go vote, go plug into governance in some way. Honestly, it's, it's really like the way we wanted to approach it is like, I mean, this is an experiment in, in radical decentralization. And I don't mean that like, um, you know, it's it's total chaos, but it's like we wanted to do this in a way like everything is up to the community. It's out of our hands. Like every decision is going to be completely up to the community. Um, you know, these are valueless. Um, uh, you know, like we didn't want to make any decision, you know, without the community being involved. And so, um, you know, some of that is. Uh, you know, the, the very first step was basically just launching, you know, the governance protocol, launching a way to distribute some initial votes, um, you know, kind of getting the governance system, getting the, you know, like the, basically like the, you know, the community, you know, the culture, you know, like the vibe kind of in place. Um, it just, like you said, it like, you know, price and all that stuff, like, I don't care what it does. Like, we're here to like, just try weird shit. We just want to experiment. You know, let the community take it where it wants to, you know, and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. So, so that's, that's really what we're looking to do. It's out of our hands. I love the theme of experimentation and trying things. Um, and I think we'll talk about this later, but we even launched like an NFT project. Mm -hmm. um, they're these like really cool kind of badass uh, pixelated elves. And uh, this is part of, this is part of the whole thing where basically we're, um, incentivizing people to delegate right away. The first, you know, n number of delegates got whitelisted to to mint these, um, and this sort of like it, it's really cool. I I did a whole tweet thread on this. I believe that uh, NFTs are now going to be a core part of um, of DAO governance because NFTs sort of build community better than any primitive we've seen in the space. Um, so you combine the community of the NFT world with the community around DAOs and this, you know, sense of belonging, um, and then you sort of integrate them and you find ways that these these NFTs can play a part in governance. You sort of supercharge things, and so this this is you know Johnny put it really well. 
we like to do weird things. We like to experiment. We like to throw things out there and see what happens. Uh, this is just like one of one of those examples. So, yeah. So we'll go. We'll get into it here since we're already on, on the subject. Uh, we had just had, came out of a podcast with uh, Olaf Carson. We that podcast will come out on Monday, and he talked about how. Uh, there's just this natural fit between DeFi applications and DAOs. Like DeFi applications are awesome. DAOs are awesome. But DeFi applications need governance and DAOs can offer governance. So it makes sense just to smash these things together. But you, So you guys are doing that with the launch of Element DAO, but you guys are also doing the NFT thing as well. So you have a DAO that's not only about a DeFi app, but now it's also about like an NFT ecosystem. Can, can you just go into the, uh, the angle on that? Like why split your attention? Like now you guys are doing two things. Or, or do you think that this is actually going to be a worthwhile uh, uh, endeavor to help just the DeFi app side of, of Element? How does, how does the NFT project actually end up helping the DeFi app? Yeah. So again, I did like a, a really long thread on this. Um, and I, I sort of come with the hypothesis that NFTs are now going to be an integral part of DAOs from, the future, um, from this point on. I think people are going to start experimenting with it more. I think it's just going to be, it's a natural fit. Um, DAOs represent, you know, community, right? Like uh, the, the voting share you have in the DAO, you feel connected to that DAO, its mission, what it's doing, the research it's doing, the things it's launching, its treasury that it owns. Um, so you combine that with, you know, an NFT project, which also, you know, sort of builds a natural and organic community in general. Um, and you can sort of see like what, what it can do. And, um, you know, there's a number of things that we can play with, right? Um, so not just using NFTs as like a community aspect or like gating certain, you know, channels or discussions or events with it. Um, but you could also have like NF the NFT world be a part of governance. So um, you do certain things in the application, you, you know, try certain behaviors, you put a proposal forward, you vote on something, you're active. Uh, maybe you can level up that NFT with, you know, external set of potions that you can show in your profile. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of experimentation here. There's a lot of, a lot of cool things. And so um, this is sort of what, what we're playing with. Johnny, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say that, like, um, you know, in addition to, to all of the, you know, all the things Will said, like, I mean, honestly, like, if nothing else, like, the project was like a great design exercise. You know, it was like, we have, we have awesome, like incredible designers and artists. And we wanted to also give them a chance to spread their wings and experiment. Um, we like to experiment too. And so like, this seemed like a great way for them to express their creativity, kind of really, really find the soul of the project, you know, which is like, it's more, you know, DeFi, like Ethereum, all this stuff is, you know, it's more than just like, you know, uh, you know, magic internet money, right? Like we really, really think it's important to like kind of, you know, figure out like what is the soul of this project and, and art, you know, is like a really good way, you know, to express that and to reach people. And so, you know, from like a more philosophical point of view, that's why I think it was like a powerful thing to do as well. Johnny, what, just for people, uh, what's the alpha here? Uh, like, how do I get oh. an elf? These things look amazing. Yeah. How do I get an elf? Yeah, so it's basically the first. So what we did the first two thousand to uh, whitelist, uh, sorry, to delegate on the governance wow. app uh, would get whitelisted. But 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 um, we're going to open that up again very soon in the next few days because there's a total five thousand in supply, 
Okay. So 2000 have been whitelisted. We're going to whitelist another two, put up another 2000 for whitelisting here very shortly, um, particularly geared towards the Discord um, and the GitHub contributors community as well. So they have a shot at getting these. So that's that's coming soon. We'll make an official announcement. I may have released too much alpha. Um, <laughs> you, know. you can't release too much alpha on Bankless. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not done. Mm -hmm. I, there I will be more say, soon. Yeah, I do want to say that there's no minting fee. You just pay gas too. So that's also what? important to recognize. What magic is this? Yeah. 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 Free NFTs? I thought you have to pay I know. for them. <laughs> okay, but it's not free because you have to participate, David. Uh, okay, yes. so like uh, delegate. Yeah, we're just a bunch uh, of hippies, Discord. really. You know. All right, delegate so, Discord. We, we give right. free NFT love. I love yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Oh, also answers. check out the meme version of our lore. You know, if you don't have to do it now. Oh, yes. That's yeah. definitely some. I saw this too. You know. I saw this. All right. So read this text carefully. Is what I'm hearing. I don't know. Yeah. Read this text carefully. Oh, there we go. Meme version. Yeah. yeah. And uh, see if you can. I don't know. It might be important later. I don't know. The more we camp on this, though, David, the more alpha they're share that they're going to share. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Please change change the topic asap. No. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they're they're, they're they're elves, of course, because the token is called E L F I. Uh, so just uh, for those that don't know why they're elves, they're elves because that's what the token name is. Also because elves are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're cunning. They're cool. They're like, yeah, mm. I, I love elves. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get into the last two bits of uh, uh, alpha before we get into the actual yield markets and Ethereum merge subjects. Uh, there's two governance innovations that you guys are bringing to the table. One is an alternative form of how the Element DAO uh, governance structure works. And then also one is the voting vault, and that's the uh, have your cake and eat it too. Uh, so we'll talk about that one second. First one is council governance. Can you guys explain this new DAO governance model that you guys are pioneering? What is council governance and why is it better? Yeah, so we, uh, we launched a new protocol called the council protocol. It's a new governance protocol. Um, most, uh, most teams in the space when they're launching a DAO are sort of uh, forking off of Governor Bravo. Um, and, so and is that, the, that's the compound? The original Correct. compound the governance compound. system. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's a number of different you know directions those forks have gone in and that people are you know playing off of. And so what we decided you know from the start, I Charles St. Louis, he came from Maker. He helped Rune build you know the original uh, setup over at Maker. One of the things we talked about from the start is let's innovate, let's push the space forward on governance. It's super important. Uh, setting a DAO framework is like the right thing to do for this space. At Element, we want to innovate and experiment in everything. And so that's sort of that's sort of the result of that conversation, the council protocol. And so council protocol has a couple um, a couple major you know innovations. One, it's from the ground up, so that sort of you know brings the learnings that we've seen from uh, DAOs and governance systems before. Um, a couple of things that it comes with is a governance steering council. So this is built-in delegation where the governance steering council can have certain privileges within the system to push uh, essentially um, proposals forward. Um, in an expedited manner to be able to spend, you know, a certain allocation of treasury uh, for events and other things. Um, and they're sort of voted in real time and they can be removed in real time based on uh, a minimum quorum of votes. Um, then we have the, um, and we are actually already have like seven uh, GSC members that have been elected, which is cool. So the Governance Steering Council, it's, it's working and that's, you know, been happening in real time. The second thing, this is what I'm like most uh, excited and passionate about. I did like an awesome, you know, fun thread on this at one point. 
um, is voting vaults. <clears throat> and voting vaults, we'll go into this, I won't you know, go too deep yet, but voting vaults are essentially um, uh, what I call governance Lego pieces. They're a new primitive. Um, and they let you redefine what constitutes a vote. So I'll just leave it at that so far. Well, I actually think we want to go into that. I, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that one because that, that's the have, a, have your cake and eat it too. Uh, is, yes, is, the, uh, yes. is the council governance, is this just like another form of like representative democracy where just like, you know, if every single person in America all had to like come to consensus about every single issue, we would just be bogged down in snapshot votes, basically. Is this basically just we are electing council members who will steer the element DAO on our behalf, uh, and then we can choose to remove or add our voting weight to different council members as we see fit? Is that basically the story? Yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's pretty cool. And it's done in a liquid way, right? It can be removed mm -hmm. and added based on you know how people delegate and if they remove or mm -hmm. change their delegation. We even saw people like sort of do campaigns on Twitter. It was fun. Um, <laughs> and uh, we saw a lot of people in the Discord sort of campaign. We sort of left it left it open for people to, you know, make it make it uh, their own. But yeah, we sort of um, make uh, that code and everything really simple and build that into the protocol. I think this is funny. This is uh, kind of what happens when you move uh, protocol devs uh, into the app layers is they, they end up going to the protocol layer of the app layer. And so now we have a new like governance framework. And I'm curious if you guys see that, you know, this might take, um, like, will will DAOs that are on the Bravo governance framework, for, for, for example, will they be able to like port over to this? Do you see this, um, being used by a lot more DAOs moving forward? Like, do you think this is a, 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 a improvement, a big improvement from, previous DAO governance uh, structures that have been in place previously? Yeah, so I think, um, so the the council part is really cool, the governance steering council. I think the Lego pieces, this is the huge one, um, voting vault. So basically, you know, if someone wants to launch a new DAO, right? If they want to do one with compound voting integration, a vesting vault, a locking vault, let's say Uniswap integration, they can just pick all the components they want, boom, launch, new DAO. They have all these things that the situate that have been situated and that the open source um, world has already built, you know, in these voting vaults. Um, and so I sort of see it as a huge, huge innovation, a huge evolution. It's gonna be cool what everyone does with these voting vaults. They're, you know, in my opinion, they're like life-changing, world-changing. Um, DAOs are on basically uh, can, you know, exponential, you know, increase at this point with this. Um, yeah. Well, can we talk about that then? The voting vaults, Johnny, and you were talking about the the cake, man. So this is your moment to talk about the cake here because this is this is the cake. Why is this? Why are voting vaults? Can you explain what they are? Why they're so important and why they're, as Will Will said, potentially world changing? Yeah, I can I can give a like a quick explanation. So one nice thing about it is like um, it basically allows you to you know if if you you know, if, if you're, um, let's say like, you know, some new protocol, like wants to use the council governance system, like by all means, come in, steal the code, you know, or contribute to it, whatever, fork the code, like absolutely encourage that, want people to do that. Say they come in and say it's FooDAO, right? And they have a Foo token and, um, and they want to, um, you know, one of the nice things about the voting vaults is, is that like a lot of people want to, 
um, just things you can do with a food token. Maybe you want to provide liquidity on Uniswap pools. Um, maybe you want to, um, you know, add it as, a, you know, so people can, you know, add it as, a, you know, collateral on Compound. Um, whatever, what we can do is, is create these voting vaults that, that will mention that basically allows you to, um, you know, deposit those, um, you know, those whatever the LP shares or, um, you know, the collateral on compound. And what they'll do is they'll inspect and figure out like how many votes they, you know, that that corresponds to. So like the, the actual council protocol will query these voting vaults and figure out what the associated voting power is, so, you know, with that. So you can, you can participate in governance and you can still like participate in DeFi. You don't have to choose one or the other. So, so that's, that's sort of the, this is, this is super important because that's been missing so far, right? It's like, and, and I would yeah. argue that the people who are actually doing something with the governance token inside of a DAO are actually like DAO super users because they're doing things like providing liquidity for the underlying token or like lending it out. Um, so, but the problem right now in the current state of DAOs is once you do that, once you take that token and start to use it in DeFi, say you're providing liquidity or something, then generally you lose the ability to participate in governance. And that's not what we want in, in these structures. So you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, Johnny, it's like, I don't lose that ability. As I am providing liquidity, as I'm lending out my DAO native tokens, I still have the full ability to participate in a vote, a snapshot vote, uh, for instance. And so, I get to maintain my my voting rights while doing all of those things. Is that correct? You know that, yeah. Yeah. So we actually yep. one of my favorite podcasts in the in that we've ever done was uh, uh, with Joel Monegro from Placeholder, and we titled it "Capital and Governance." And it was an exploration as to what capital actually is. Uh, and his definition was, well, capital is the ability to influence the world. So governance and capital are actually two sides of the same coin. But in DeFi, in the current state of DeFi, they're not because because you can't vote and also like yield farm with your token at the same time, you actually have to choose between using your token as capital or choosing it to use it as governance. Uh, and you can't really have both. And most people end up just using the capital route because that is what ends up getting them more, more money at the end of the day. But with voting vaults, again, you get to have your cake and eat it too. You get to have the capital. You get to use your token in DeFi. You get to uh, lend it out. You get to yield farm with it. You get to do your DGEN stuff. But with a voting vault, you also get to vote on stuff at the same time. And uh, Will, Johnny, we were talking yesterday and you guys were walking me through some of these use cases. This is going to become really, really important for so many DAOs that exist on the Ethereum layer one, but when the tokens exist on layer two, because not only can you yield farm and DeFi with it, you can also send tokens onto layer two and also still have your governance powers. Uh, and so it, when you guys told me about this, I was like, oh, well, this was obviously the way that every single DeFi application is going to do this going forward. Because obviously it, it's necessary. A, obviously, yeah. It's like, it's a disservice to their users to force them to not... Uh, yield farm and DeFi while also being governors. It's basically going to become table stakes in my mind. Would you guys agree? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you nailed it, right? Other use cases. So people can now hold the, you know, the token on L2. Um, they can vote. So you could have an L1, L2 bridge voting vault where you pass the Merkle route in and the vote is counted on basically the L2 that they're on or, or the other chain that they're on as well. 
Um, so yeah, it sort of opens up this whole world. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Now that we have context, if you're launching a new DAO, you can now say, you know, I want the L2, L1 bridge. I want the, um, the compound integration. I want the Uniswap integration. I want the locking, you know, system, um, you know, deploy. And, and this sort of creates this new, um, new, like amazing ecosystem. Right, right. And, and the cool thing about this, for listeners who like mental models, which I'm, I hope you do because we're really good at making them here on Bankless, uh, it's like yearn strategies where like somebody will write up a yearn strategy and then yearn governance will accept it into the new strategy. It's a little bit like that in the sense that anyone can write a pathway. So like here you got, you got the element governance token um, and then it's going to be uh, LPing between ETH and element governance token inside of Unis, Uniswap LP tokens. But then that LP token can go inside of like MakerDAO, right? And so you can write a strategy that is like a Uniswap LP token as collateral in MakerDAO, write that for code for the voting vault. But then as soon as somebody writes that one piece of that recipe, that recipe becomes known to the whole rest of the open source community. So anyone can like go into the voting vault, you know, candy store, pull it off the shelves and plug it into their voting vault for their DAO. And anytime anyone writes a strategy, we can get even crazier, right? Like L Uniswap governance token, ETH LP deployed onto the optimism layer two, uh, and then also being lent out in Aave. So it's an optimism ALP Uniswap token, but it's also functioning as governance on the Ethereum layer one. And as soon as one person writes that, it becomes usable for every other single DAO that uses a voting vault structure. So it's only progress. You can't, you can't lose progress. You can only add more and more optionality as to how these DAOs can leverage their capital while also enabling their users to have governance. Yeah. No, no questions, it's, any comments? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's exactly it, yeah. I'll, I'll leave with like, uh, like a really funny, funny one that we talked about. It's the vampire vault. Okay. So you give people voting powers by uh, getting, you know, the token of, let's say, a, a competitor protocol, um, and then they burn it, they send it to, you know, the zero address, and they then they gain votes in your protocol based on that behavior. Wait, so, so you don't even like need your it, own governance token? You can d determine governance voting power based off of interactions with your non-native tokens? You could do that. Yeah. So um, you could do even uh, DAO mergers. There's some cool things that could happen here. And it's sort of up to governance to, to, you know, discreetly. Approve wait, wait, that wait. So, Bill, well, what's vaults. that, what's that vampire vote thing? So you're saying like, <laughs> I would have to show a proof that I, I should have opened this. Can work. No, no, please continue. Please continue. So you, you're saying that uh, I would have to show proof that I burnt a, another protocols token in order to be eligible for voting rights? Yeah, you could get basically additional voting rights for burning the other uh, the other protocols token, as an example. So huh. uh, the governance system would query that voting vault, the voting vault would respond and say, okay, these people burn this amount, they get this certain allo allocation in, right. in the next vote that's gonna, gonna happen. Fun. But if we were being super malicious, you wouldn't wanna burn their token because no, people associate burning so. with number go up. I think, I think maybe you yes. could like, yeah, uh, that's true. maybe you could, you could uh, have like a short position on DYDX for like, <laughs> if you have a competitor, you could like provably <laughs> short like there and yeah. then and then you have governance powers based on how significant your short is. Proof of short. Yeah, proof that's of short. For evil. Like proof that's, of short. That's, that's I didn't know my co-host was so evil. Gosh, I'm sorry. Stop the broadcast. We gotta stop this. <laughs> I, I think, I think that the point lands though. It is maximally expressive governance. 
Um, and so it's really allowing like perhaps Turing completeness to be coming to go to the governance layer, which I think is a, a huge unlock to DAO governance. Um, guys, that is a really cool feature. Again, like thank you for building that for all of DeFi because all of DeFi is going to use this. This is not something that you have to tap into the Element uh, protocol to use. This is open source software, which Element is innovating on and now has given to the rest of the world. For Thank you for your contributions. Uh, we want to get into details around the Element protocol, especially as we get into the merge. Uh, we want to learn about how Element is kind of integrating itself into the Ethereum protocol more than the typical app. Um, there are a certain cohort of apps out there that are more related to the Ethereum protocol itself than other applications, like Rocket Pool and Lido come to mind, and Element finds itself shoulder to shoulder amongst some of these apps. And then all, of course, where we get to the candy as to how users can actually gain exposure to the merge as Ethereum finally merged. So we are going to get into all those subjects right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, we are back. And here is where we get into the Ethereum yield markets, the coming merge, and how Element is embedding itself straight into the actual protocol level of Ethereum, not formally with code, more informally with economics. Uh, and so with the launch of Element DAO, uh, Element is now becoming more and more embedded into what Ryan and I call the protocol sync, getting deeper and deeper into the structure of DeFi. Uh, and because Element is a yield and interest yield money market, uh, it is very, very relevant to the native ETH stake rate on Ethereum. As uh, ETH turns into a capital asset that has a native yield to it, all of a sudden Element turns into a financialization layer around the next generation of the bond market. If you guys were, uh, if you guys uh, read the the uh, Monday opening note that we wrote yesterday on Bankless, it's all about how Ethereum will be the next bond market for the digital age. At least that's the plan. Uh, which makes Element and what Element does extremely relevant as a financialization layer on top of the native ETH stake rate. And so this is where, and this were, these are, I'm stealing these words from Will, who I was talking to yesterday. DeFi is now responsible for Ethereum security. Uh, and so, um, Johnny, I want to throw this one to you. Can, you. can you just elaborate on this aspect of Element as it relates to Ethereum and how it's impacted some of the design choices that you guys have at Element? Yeah, just like, I mean, at a high level, really, like, you know, like our, uh, you know, from a mechanism point of view, like we, we put a lot of effort ensuring that the core protocols just solid through like analysis, simulation, audits, all of that stuff. We, we definitely want to be like embedded in the stack, like you mentioned, like this is another primitive for people to build on. You're already seeing it. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a tool that Component 5 released for yield token compounding, which allows you to basically go long on um or i'm sorry sorry to basically lever up on you know on a on on a variable rate and so they make it really easy to yield token compound essentially um and so since we actually wrap assets like state d um you know this is another you know this is another example of uh you know how we're getting more embedded and really all of DeFi is getting more embedded into the security of the network um, that's that's one of the great things about proof of stake, right? Is the internet bond. It's also something that we have to use responsibly as well. Um, that's another reason why we actually wanted to give voting power to core devs uh, is to enable that two-way communication. 
Um, so, so can I ask, basically, you're, you're doing the same, uh, the same trick that that will outlined at, at the very beginning of the episode when he was talking about um, what element actually does is which is separating like uh, principle and interest. So is there is there the ability uh, to basically lock in my ETH staking rate? Because uh, with yeah. element that that's the core functionality. So uh, of course, you know, ETH staking right now might be 5% uh, post merge. Maybe one day it's 8%, maybe another day it's 12%, maybe another day it's 15%. Hard to know. It all depends on kind of the market supply de demand dynamics, uh, all sorts of things go into that. But what element allows you to do is basically turn this into a fixed staking rate for yourself, like, like a fixed bond essentially, where it's ETH staking would be variable every single day. It could be something, right. something different. Yeah, it's market driven. Yeah, it's so market so, driven. Yeah, so basically like uh, Will mentioned before, it's like if you want to sell for 90 cents a dollar. So it's basically think about like, I want to sell you a stake ETH for, you know, 0.9, right? So whatever the market rate is at that moment, um, you, that's what you lock it in at. And through the magic of, uh, you know, yield space, um, by the, you know that whatever you buy it at, it's going to mature to one-to-one -one with the base asset, um, you, you know, at the end of the term. So, so whatever you buy it at, at the market rate, that locks in your fixed rate. And that's the magic of how the fixed rate side works. Where it becomes more interesting is, is when you actually can yield token compound and, and, and sort of speculate on what's going to happen with variable rates. Um, yeah, and I want to get into that, but even just the ability to kind of lock in a fixed rate, um, we are starting, we've talked about this the last few weeks on Bankless, uh, we're starting to actually see Tradify understanding the ETH narrative, Ether as a an internet bond, right? Turning into this capital asset, productive asset. And what you're doing is you're unlocking a whole new group of institutional buyers who are just like, yeah, and I also want a fixed rate on that staking yield. Do you think that this unlocks a, a whole new cohort of oh, institutional it, it buyers? Does yeah, and and the and the beautiful thing is, is so like you're gonna get like from the institutional side, yeah, they'll see like a they'll see a juicy rate, you know, on like staking, for example, on like stake ETH, and they'll want to lock it in. Well, what happens when you when you because like I said, you're buying right. So they see a juicy rate they want to lock in. Well, the more they buy, the higher the actual price goes up. So the lower the yield, you know, actually becomes, right? So, so, so there's a, you know, the, so, so that you have that side and then you have the more degen side, the side that's going to come into the protocol and they want to mint principal and yield tokens, right? And then they mint that principal and yield token and they go take a look at the fixed rate market side. They're like, oh, huh, I can sell my principal token right now, you know, like for a 1% discount or one and a half percent discount. And they can exit out of their position quickly while keeping their exposure to the variable side. And so this really comes into play when you start doing that recursively. The more, if you do that recursively as you sell into the fixed rate side, the actual price is going to go down, right? So the rates go up. So as you sell into that, uh, you actually go, you basically, you basically end up, um, 
uh, as you sell into it, you basically end up kind of balancing the two sides of the market out that way. This is cool. And so what we're basically doing is we're financializing uh, uh, Ether, the the internet bond here and making it accessible to more people. And like one other point to note, of course, Element is not doing the staking itself for something like ETH. Would you work with other liquid staking protocols like a Lido or a Rocket Pool? Is that Yeah, that's right. We don't have any of the infrastructure. It's literally just wrapped yield positions. We so it, right. That's what the protocol is. It's It's completely agnostic to what the yield source is. And in fact, it's permissionless in that fact as well. Anyone can go and wrap a yield source, write an adapter for it. We don't, you know, we anyone can use the protocol that way. There's, there's nothing preventing them from doing that. And we are at the very beginning stages of the conversation is how to get exposure to the merge, but not yet, not yet. Yeah. Still, still got to wait. Still got to wait. That's cool. coming again towards the end, which we're almost there. But Will, I want to unpack a, a line that you said yesterday that stuck with me. I mean, it, you said uh, DeFi is now responsible for the security of Ethereum. How, how is Element now related to the Ethereum, uh, to the security of Ethereum? Yeah, so essentially once we have, you know, these staking derivatives, things like Lido, Rocket Pool, um, what they end up doing is they end up bringing, um, you know, tokenizing those actual stake position onto the core DeFi layer. Mm-hmm. So now, right, these Lido, you know, Lido tokens, the staked ETH, um, you know, can trade on, you know, Curve. It can be used as collateral. People can leverage long on it. They can, you know, short. They can do all these different things and all these behaviors within DeFi, which then extends to the actual behavior um, and security on, you know, that core layer. So you have sort of this two, two-way road um, of how they're affecting each other now. Um, and this is sort of what's what's happened with this um, with this inclusion of the staking derivative. So with the unlocking of fixed yield interest rates, which is where institutions are going to feel more comfy, do you think that will just add to the total security of Ethereum because it'll add more demand towards staked ETH through Element as an Element will be bridging the wants and desires of institutions to more Ether being staked at the L1? Do you think that that's going to happen? Yeah, I think so. So it, it locks up more of those positions. I think it brings a, you know, a strong sort of calculable, uh, countable, um, you know, asset that you have. And so I do, I do think um, it does bring, uh, you know, additional security and liquidity into that, that aspect as well. You're ready to throw it in a pension fund now. It's a fixed yeah, yield. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One last question before we get into how to get exposure to the merge. Uh, Johnny, your ex-consensus, you worked at, at the Pegasus client back in uh, 2018 to 2020. Uh, Will, you're also ex-consensus. You worked on sharding research in 2019 to 2020. Application devs don't usually have this much exposure to the protocol level. This has been a theme so far in this, in this podcast, even talking with the, uh, the actual distribution of the Element token towards people that aren't working on Element, but were working on the things that made Element possible, you know, the protocol devs, other DeFi apps. Uh, how has this shaped what you're building at Element? And, and also, we can, we, can just, we can just zoom out and reframe this conversation into the world of open source and the world of development. Like, why, why is this link between the Ethereum L1 protocol and the DeFi application layer important? Yeah, yeah. so I have an answer that actually kind of goes back to, to my... Um, you know, my working with Will back in, you know, on, on Ethereum research back in the day. Um, it was interesting, like being a developer, core dev researcher, like in consensus, like, you know, like on a personal level, like we all have a good relationship, you know? And so, um, but the struggle was always like alignment, right? So like 
you know, initially, like I had to rely heavily on personal relationships, you know, with individuals just to ensure, you know, like there's constant communication, um, you know, that we're working on, you know, whatever we're working on remains relevant to the roadmap. Um, and if this was informal, um, it was efficient as long as I was, um, you know, as long as I was diligent about it. Well, what struck me immediately about Will, like, is he came in, you know, to the to the ETH research scene, starts Quilt, immediately sets up the steering committee, um, you know, that was basically comprised with a bunch of people, you know, from the EF, um, key researchers uh, from the EF um, that were contributing to the roadmap of ETH2. So he he formalized it had immediate impact, you know, to make sure that Quilt's resources you know, like we're directed on whatever is the most relevant thing. Like it's basically like, I mean, the, the whole point of it is like, how can we help the EF, right? And so I saw firsthand, cause I would go on side quests with Will. I would like join their standups, you know, any excuse to collab with them. And, and so like, I saw this and I saw how effective it was. And so I, I took and applied the same model back to, you know, TXRX, the research team that um, that I was on and, and, and it was really effective. And so I, I say this, it's really a long way of saying that like that lesson right there um, really resonated with me. One, it speaks to just like the leadership ability and just kind of like the dynamic personality that Will is, um, but also just like it spoke to me in the way that like, that's a way to kind of like get core developers and the application side working. You know, we we build as on the application side on these key technologies. Um, and so we need a way to formalize this feedback loop. So giving them votes and governance systems that are like directly, you know, tied in um, just really only makes sense. It, it just strengthens that feedback loop. So, yeah. And another thing I'm, I'm actually really excited about. So I loved when I was, um, you know, researcher on ETH2, I loved logging into ETH research, uh, the forums. And really just like the community that had been built there, the community of research, experimentation, discussion, um, having really deep, sophisticated conversations. Um, and and that, was, that was so much fun. And so one of the things that I wanna experiment with and play with, and I'm super passionate about is how do we recreate some of that atmosphere into our own Commonwealth forums, the forums and governance discussions that we're having at Element. And then how do we take that and you know connect that to the core um, the core layer as well and the things that we talked about the security on the core layer and make sure that that's an open part of the conversation and so part of that is one including you know the right people this is a reason another reason we uh, gave voting power and drops to um, people that have contributed something towards this space they're more likely to be involved in sophisticated and research-based conversations um, and then the second is basically fostering and cultivating that ecosystem so uh, you know, getting key people as part of uh, Element and others to contribute in that and making the place where like people are excited to log into like the Element Commonwealth forums and governance discussions, because that's where a lot of the innovation in the DeFi space is happening, right? So that's like, that is my vision. That's my goal. Um, I want to create that as part of Element and, and the DAO and everything that's happening there. And I want to foster that, that um, you know, that juice and recreate what we had. That's really cool, guys. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about the last thing on our agenda that we've been talking about that we're promising this entire episode. So that is upside exposure uh, to the staking rate post-merge. 
So um, it's it's hard to know whether ETH price what ETH price is going to do going to the merge up down like who knows right we all have our sort of ideas on on what'll happen what's likely to happen um, but one thing that seems super obvious if anyone runs the numbers is that staking yield is going to increase right it's going to increase uh, maybe right now it's like four point eight percent some people are forecasting as high as 10, 12, 15%, even higher. Is there a way to speculate on that and get upside exposure to, to that bet going into the merge with Element? And uh, if so, how do we do it? Tell us how to do it. Will, do you want to take that? Yeah, yeah, I'll take this. Cool. So um, I actually did a talk at ETH Denver. You should watch it. I went into like the background of ZeroX Sifu, the Wonderland ecosystem, uh, that whole scandal and like connected all these things. If you're you know, into like a fun, really interesting, deep conversation, look at it. Um, and it connects to a lot of these things as well. So um, one of the things I'll give like a quick background story. When we first launched Element, um, we were in sort of a market lull. The yields, the yield rates had gone down. And we were actually pleasantly surprised because all the fixed rates were actually higher on our launch than the variable rates. And this actually caused a lot of confusion to people at first. But what ended up happening is people were actually predicting that yield rates in the market were going to increase. Mm. Um, and so they were leveraging into the variable rate, bringing the fixed rate up. And so let's say USDC, right, was at, you know, 5%, but it ended up averaging to 20%. They're okay to bringing it up to 10% um, because it's, you know, the market's going to go up and it's going to reach that higher APY. And so what we saw is a ton of people actually profited um, in the beginning by bringing the fixed rate higher and leveraging into that into that yield rate. So, how does this work? Um, so, like if and, and by the way, I want to you know mention and give a disclaimer. Um, you know, I can't predict anything in the market or where it's going to go. But if you do believe that yield rates are going to go up on uh, staked ETH, um, then this could be a really cool strategy for you. Um, and so how does this work? So currently you'll see that our, on our platform, there's like three and 5% uh, fixed rate APY on stake ETH. So um, if you assume that that's going to, on the variable side, reach 15%, um, what you do is you mint principal and yield tokens into that stake ETH position. Um, and then you sell your principal tokens, right? So if I put uh, $100,000 in, I get 100,000 yield tokens, I get 100,000 principal tokens, I sell my 100,000 principal tokens uh, at 5%, right? Um, and then I get $950,000 in liquidity immediately. Um, then I use that $950,000 to mint again. Um, and now I have, uh, now I have basically $200,000 of yield tokens. Um, I sell the principal tokens again I do this multiple times. And so what happens is if the fixed rate is at 5% and I believe the variable rate is gonna hit 15%, that's a 10% spread. So each time I do this minting selling cycle, I basically multiply my 10% um, increase that I have. So if I do this 10 times, I leverage in 10 times, I can get 10X leverage into the staked ETH exposure, the variable exposure. And I could on that 10% spread, essentially achieve around 100% APY. Um, and there's a tool that does this for you, does all the calculations, does it all in one step. Um, component build it, built it, I believe it's uh, ytc.component.fi.fi. Um, and that sort of lets you do that. And so uh, another thing that this, you know, requires is like a deeply, you know, liquid market. So you can, you know, 
put push more and more um, capital into it. Um, and we, in about 10 days, our, uh, our staked ETH um, term uh, is going to come to expiration. I think there's about 60 million, $70 million of ETH in there. It's deeply liquid. Um, and I would expect that that will roll over into this next term, which expires six months from now. And so we're going to have like a pretty deeply liquid playground that you can you can do this speculation and um, you know you can take 15% variable yield and you can change that into 100% if you believe that it's going to hit 15%. And so you also have to speculate on the actual timing of the merge in order to get the strategy done, correct? This is correct. So okay. you'd have to take a speculation on when uh, when the merge would actually happen and um, you know all these aspects, which is why there's some risk involved and you know, this is just a suggestion on how you could play and, but we've seen a lot of people uh, do very well through these strategies. Okay. Okay. That is super cool. We will, guys, we'll include links to, to these things in the show notes as well. I'm wondering if the market is going to tell us when the merge is going to happen through, uh, through tools and mechanisms like this. Uh, David, you looked like you were going to say something. Yeah. Is this YTC component, is that just an application that's on top of element as in like, this is a UI for doing, uh, is this a, just a UI layer, or is this also its own kind of DeFi app that's hooked into Element? It's just a UI layer. Okay. So it just basically recursively strings um, this, this uh, process mm -hmm. together. And actually like a really cool way to make this even more efficient. So let's say I do 10, 10X leverage. And let's say after the 10 iterations, it leaves me with about $500,000 know, and I put a million dollars in just to make for an easy example. You could actually just flash loan that uh, that right. initial five hundred. Um, so that's, I believe, a uh, iteration they're going to do as well, which makes it even more capital efficient. And actually, once you have that in place, then it's twenty x exposure versus you know ten x. I think the other cool thing they do is they also simulate what's going to happen mm -hmm. as well. So 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 it, it yeah. provides a lot of useful information um, when you actually use the tool. Yeah, I would imagine. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around like the holding in my brain how Element really works in the background just because, uh, you know, psych major here, not a finance major. Uh, and so having these, these UI layers on top of things like Element really is really, really helpful. And I think listeners can start to get a gist as to how big the Ethereum bond market is going to become, especially when it's aided by financialization layers like Element. Uh, and that's not even to mention just the actual uh, innovations going on in the other aspects of the Ethereum bond market, like uh, the shared secret validator innovations and the, and the staking network innovations. The Ethereum bond market is going to be absolutely huge. And Element is one of those tools to harness into that power of the bond market. So guys, thank you for building Element. And also thank you for handing over power to the community with the launch of the DAO and the launch of the token. And congratulations for making it uh, thus far. What's next? What's next in the Element story? What do you guys have on the, the three, six months time frame? And then also what is like the 10 year time frame for Element too? Yeah, so major things. Um, so we have an amazing team. Um, really, uh, really, really solid, really, really smart people. We're really proud of them. So a lot of it is research um, towards uh, a V2 on the AMM that we're doing, making that more efficient. Um, auto rollovers, so people uh, basically can get perpetual exposure to the fixed rates and to these LP positions. This sort of also locks in liquidity for years and makes, um, makes the markets a lot better to be built on. So we're sort of finishing some of the work there. 
Um, also a revamp of the current uh, UI and current system, making it easier to come in through other assets instead of having to get obscure, like curve-based assets, things like that. Um, so a, a lot of things like that were even like, we have some research on a new uh, liquidity, like mining primitive as well. Um, and uh, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, later down the road, the community, you know, takes that into account. I believe it's a lot uh, better than the curve model. I believe it's a huge iteration on that. So stay tuned. So just a, a lot of innovation, also continuing to build out the council protocol, um, things like that. So no, awesome. I would say additionally, like also like, you know, Will and I came, you know, we were, we were protocol devs. Um, so, so also, you know, continuing to kind of keep an eye and help out at the core level, um, you know, where we can. And also like efforts like the, you know, like protocol guild that's kind of being um, proposed by Stateful Works and Trent Van Epps. It's, it, that's kind of an interesting way to kind of iterate or, or really more formalize sort of like the, the, the idea of kind of sharing, you know, the, you know, the stake in some of these application layer protocols with the core devs. Um, that's a whole interesting conversation as well. And, um, and something that I think probably even deserves a whole, a whole episode on, on bankless, but, but it's really cool. Y'all should, y'all should reach out to Trent and, and check this that is, out. This it is, really yeah. it removes a lot of the legwork from what we had to do. Um, this is, so. this is awesome. I'm, I'm so glad I, I, there has been in the past in Ethereum. I, I know you guys will test this. Like it's felt like at times there's some division between like what the protocol devs are doing and like what the, the DeFi builders and the users are doing. So it's really cool to see, um, builders like you starting on the protocol side, then moving to the app layer. So you have a way to bridge both of these, both of these communities and find uh, some shared alignment between them. I think that's really good for the overall ecosystem. So I would still love to see some, um, some, uh, app layer devs move to the protocol side. I think that would be, uh, that'd be pretty fun to see too. Um, but then again, I'd love to see more protocol devs, uh, up the, up the app stack. I wonder what Vitalik what kind of app Vitalik would build if he was a, a DeFi developer? Um, He'd keep anyway, it weird, you know? Yeah, he would. <laughs> yeah, super for sure. <laughs> I bet it would involve public yeah. goods. Uh, Will and Johnny, thank you so much for joining us on Bankless. This has been a blast. Cool. Awesome. Thanks thank for having you. us. Yeah, this is really awesome and really appreciate the time. For all the listeners out there who are looking to the resources, there are a number of links in the show notes. The first episode that we had, Will, on uh, the State of the Nation, that is in there as well, as well as Bankless's Guide to Element, the uh, how to actually use Element for yield. Uh, those are in your show notes as well. Uh, and of course, please like and subscribe because that's how we bring you the alpha all the time. Uh, and so if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. Uh, and then also if you are listening on a podcast, uh, give us those five-star reviews wherever you are listening to that podcast so Bankless can start to take over the world. Risks and disclaimers, guys, as always, none of this has been financial advice. Of course, ETH is risky, so is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot.